The name Francis Govonicek probably doesn't do a whole lot for us. Francis Govonicek. Anybody? Beautiful. This is great news. None of us knows who Francis Govonicek was. Francis Govonicek was a Polish man. He did not create himself. He was a son, first and foremost. He was a son who was born into the world in the late 1800s. He was married, so he became a husband. And then shortly after, he became a father. Francis's life was one of fundamental goodness, just like every human life. But Francis, living in Poland in the late 1930s as a husband and as a father, was called to the defense of his country when Nazism broke out and invaded. And Francis found himself, shortly after the invasion of Poland in 1939, to surrender to the Nazi forces and ultimately to be imprisoned in the Nazi death camp Auschwitz. Francis, whose life had objective meaning and goodness, found himself captured, and he found himself under the tyrannical regime of powers that he had no way of getting himself out from underneath. Now, in the Nazi death camp of Auschwitz, in order to protect against reprisals and in order to govern the prison population, the Nazis had all kinds of crazy rules and regulations. And one of the Nazi rules in order to provide governance for this camp and to protect against reprisals or attempted escapes was that in the event that any individual would attempt to escape from Auschwitz, 10 random individuals would be chosen and they would be executed. And so there was this system to hopefully protect against escapes. And one day, sure enough, there was an attempted escape in Auschwitz. And Francis, who was not one that had tried to escape from this prison camp, was one that was chosen to die in the place of the individual who had attempted to escape. If you were in Francis's shoes, brothers and sisters, in those moments, what would you be thinking? Staring the reality of your mortality in the face, recognizing that you will soon be meeting death, another power that you have no power against, another reality that all of us will face one day, but we have no argument, no way of getting ourselves out from underneath of. Francis was created good, but he found himself captured and staring death straight in the face. And then there was an elderly man that stepped out of rank and walked up to the Nazi official who had chosen for Francis to die. And that man walked up to the Nazi official and he said, I would like to take that man's place. And the Nazi official looked at him confused and perhaps a bit bewildered and said, well, who do you think you are that you're going to offer your life for that guy? And the man didn't give his name. He just said, I am a Catholic priest. And the Nazi official agreed for the exchange. And so Francis' life was saved by a man that he hardly knew. And that man's name was Father Maximilian Kolbe. Brothers and sisters, if we were Francis in that experience, what would our response have been? Francis broke down weeping, overcome with gratitude that he would again be able to see his wife and his children. And according to other survivors from that time in Auschwitz, we are told that Francis kind of changed on a dime. 
and that he went from living a life that was of gloom and doom and that had forgotten his identity to a life of tremendous honor, a life that, again, was able to remember that he had an incredible dignity and worth. Francis, after the war ended and he was liberated, made it his life's work and his mission to tell his own story. And so he made gazillions of dollars championing his name, and that's why all of us recognize it. No, that's not the story. Francis devoted his life's work not to telling his own story of what had happened to him. Francis made it his mission in life until he died in 1995 to tell the world the story of the Catholic priest who chose to save his life, the story of Maximilian Kolbe. And so we recognize Maximilian Kolbe's name, brothers and sisters, because of the heroic witness of the one that Maximilian Kolbe saved. Francis never stopped talking. He traveled the world. He made it his mission in life to make the story of Maximilian Kolbe's love known. Brothers and sisters, the last three Sundays of Advent, the Archbishop has asked the priests of the Archdiocese to retell the story of the Christian people. And so week one of Advent, we heard from Father Brian, and he talked about how creation doesn't explain itself. The fact that I exist and that stuff exists is the footprint, the reflection of an intelligent God who has chosen to give himself to his creation. And then the next week, we talked about how creation, though it is fundamentally good because it comes from a good God, has been enslaved. It has unwittingly sold itself into the tyrannical regime and power of enemies that are far worse than the Nazis. And those enemies are not the other political party or some other team's fan base. Those enemies, of course, are sin, death, and hell. Those enemies are real and they are present in the world in 2022. And no human being has the ability to free themselves from the tyrannical regime of sin, of death, and of hell. And so what we heard last week, brothers and sisters, was the incredible news that God thinks your life matters. And so God chose to rescue each and every one of his people by entering into the human story and by offering his own life in the place of his friends. Francis never knew Maximilian Kolbe until Maximilian Kolbe gave up his life for him. Some of us know Jesus, some of us think that we know Jesus, But do you recognize, brothers and sisters, that he has freely chosen to give up his life for you? Brothers and sisters, what our God has done for us demands a response. And we should take a page out of the playbook of Francis, the friend who was saved by Maximilian Kolbe, and we should resolve, brothers and sisters, to make it our life's work and mission to tell the world the story of the one who chose to give up his life that we might know freedom and healing and ultimately eternal life. We hear the story of Francis Govinicek and Maximilian Kolbe, and we can't not be inspired by that act of unselfish love on the part of this heroic priest. But brothers and sisters, Maximilian Kolbe only saved Francis from physical death. What we celebrate every time we come to Mass, brothers and sisters, is that our God has saved us and he continues to desire to pour out the gift of his salvation into the hearts of his friends again and again and again, that they might be freed from the power of sin 
and the consequence of sin, which is not just death, brothers and sisters, but is hell, eternal separation from him. What an incredible God we have who has done literally the greatest thing that the world could ever hear in offering himself for each and every one of us. And so, brothers and sisters, this demands a response. What should the honest response of a Christian, of one who has come to recognize what Jesus has done for us, what should that response look like? I'd like, I'd like to offer you three simple things. And so the first invitation I'd like to offer you and how we respond to what Jesus has done for us is praise and thanksgiving. The fact that Jesus has rescued each and every one of us is a tremendous reminder to us that we are loved, that our life matters, and that what God has done for us is always worthy of our praise and thanksgiving. What if I don't feel like it? He remains worthy of praise and thanksgiving for what he has done. What if I'm suffering? He remains worthy of praise and thanksgiving for all that he has done for us. And the highest way that we offer him praise and thanksgiving is actually not by us doing it ourselves. It's by us worshiping him as he offers himself again to the Father every time we come to Mass. Do you know that when we come to Mass, the goal of Mass is not fun sing-alongs? It's not entertaining homilies. The goal of the Mass is to offer right worship to the Lamb of God who has offered himself for each and every one of us. And so, brothers and sisters, sometimes when we come to the Eucharistic sacrifice, we kind of come like hoping that we have a fun sing-along, a short homily, and that we can leave right after communion. Brothers and sisters, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to enter into a dialogue as I prepare the altar and we enter into the offering of the Mass. And I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And your response will be, it is right and just. What is right and just? Giving thanks to the Lord our God. Why? Because of what he has done for each and every one of us. The highest way that we praise him and thank him for what he has done for us is by coming to Mass on Sunday and worshiping him as he offers himself again for you and for me. It is right and it is just that we do this, brothers and sisters. Praise and thanksgiving. Praising and adoring the one who has given us his own life and his own victory. Second invitation that I'd like to offer you, how do we respond, we respond to Jesus and what he has done for us, is we choose to live a life of humble confidence. Brothers and sisters, there are a lot of voices in 2022 chirping away at the children of God, telling them what they are, telling them that they have the power to define for themselves what they are, that they are their sin, they are their accomplishments. They are their power. They are their elected office. They are what they have achieved or what they have failed to achieve. And brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus and what he has done for you, you would recognize that your identity is revealed in him, period. That means that no human person has the power to define another human person's worth or value. That is an objective value that God has dictated when he has chosen to offer his life for each and every one of us. Brothers and sisters, at our core, we are seen and loved and fought for. That has nothing to do with our accomplishments or our mistakes. And so where are the places in my life that I am tempted to define my worth or my value based off of what I achieve? 
What are the places in my life where I tend to accuse myself for making so many mistakes rather than acknowledging that in the midst of those mistakes, I am the friend of a God who has chosen to fight for me, who has chosen to lay down his life for me. To be a Christian, brothers and sisters, is to acknowledge at our core, we are loved. And so that means that we choose not to live in fear, not to live in anxiety, not to live in the lie that we are alone, but to live in the humble confidence of the one who has given us his own life and who has given us the reality of his victory. The third response to what Jesus has done for us, praise and worship, humble confidence. The third response, brothers and sisters, is joyful witness. We live in a moment in history that would seem to tell the children of God that that's great that you're a friend of Jesus. Keep it to yourself, bury your head in the sand, and don't talk to anybody about it. Brothers and sisters, Christians have never fit in in the story of the Christian people. For the last 2,000 years, to be a Christian in one way or another is to stand out in your culture and society. And so Jesus invites us to take up the joyful mission of making his, his victory, of making what he has done for us known in the lives of our brothers and sisters who perhaps have not heard but also have the right to know that their life matters to a God who loves them. And so, brothers and sisters, the image that I'd like to offer you is the image at the end of A Christmas Carol, that famous Christmas story. You remember Ebenezer Scrooge, who was a miser who lived for himself, who made his life's work his own accomplishments, his own achievements. He defined himself by his net value and by his power. And then one night, one Christmas Eve, it was all held up to him, and he recognized that in the face of death, he was nothing, and he had nothing. And then Ebenezer Scrooge woke up again that glorious Christmas morning, and he woke up a changed man. And as he walked out to proclaim the joy of Christmas, he did it in a spirit of generosity, of compassion, and of joy. Because Ebenezer Scrooge discovered that he had a new, a new lease on his own life. And so he made it his life's work to go out and to tell all those who would listen and even those who would not the joy of Christmas. Brothers and sisters, who are the people in your life that Jesus is inviting you to offer an authentic, real, joyful witness to of who he is and of what he has done? It is tremendously beautiful news that we don't recognize the name of Francis Govinicek, but it is even more beautiful news that we do know the name of St. Maximilian Kolbe. Brothers and sisters, the name St. Maximilian Kolbe does not save Heaven and earth do not bow at his name because he has done amazing things, but he is simply the reflection of a God who has done incredible things for each and every one of us. Heaven and earth bows at the name of that God, and that God is soon to rest on this altar, and he wants into your life, into your family, and into this world. And so the response of a Christian to him and to what he has done is praise and thanksgiving is humble confidence and is joyful witness. And the source of all of those, brothers and sisters, is the Eucharist. The Eucharist is not some symbolic representation of Jesus. It is him. It's not some historical recreation of his victory. It is his victory. And so the Eucharist is the source of our praise and thanksgiving. The Eucharist is the source of our identity. When we hear Jesus say, your life matters to me, 
This is my body and I give it for you. The Eucharist is the source of joyful witness. And so we pray for the grace in this Mass to receive it worthily and well and to go on mission with our God, making our life's work not the proclamation of our own story, but the incredible proclamation of his. That the world could know Jesus and what he has done for his people.